I like partying on summer every day on the calendar. There is a reason to party in Spain. You have a saint one day, the next day you go another one, and the next day... And if it's not the saint of your auntie, it will be the patron of the city next to you, and that's where you go to party. Welcome to I Am An Immigrant, the podcast about people who have come to the UK from somewhere else. I'm your host, Christine Bacon, and yes, dear listener, I am an immigrant. In this week's episode, you'll meet Francisco Gomez, a Spanish veterinary surgeon who lives in a small town in Derbyshire. He came to the UK in the early 2000s, thinking like many of us do, I'll stay six months or so, do a bit of work, have a little adventure. But life happened, love happened, jobs were offered, and he stayed. We talked about what it's like to be the only immigrant in the village, how stressful a vet's life can be. And what happened when his English colleagues found out he routinely had a glass of wine with his lunch each day? I hope you enjoy the episode. My name is Francisco Gomez and I am an immigrant. Lovely to meet you, Francisco. Nice to meet you too. Do you feel like an immigrant? Um, sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes I do. Uh, depending which social interactions uh, I have with people... When people hear me talking, because I don't usually have the, you know, my skin color is very similar to a British skin color. In my family, I'm, I'm the most pale of all of them. So if I go to a pub, the moment people look at me is when I order a beer. And then the accent, you feel heads turning around. Oh, that didn't sound for me. Eh? You're going to spend here 15 years, but, but my accent my accent is part of my identity. Don't really want to lose it, to be honest. Yeah, and it will always be something that people will comment on. Do they? Do yeah, they? Sort of, yeah. yeah, it's a very good conversation starter when you've been here for three or four months. But when you've been here fifteen years, like me, it gets a bit boring, a bit tiring. And so, what do people say? Which part of Spain are you from? What? Oh, you're not from here, are you? Where are you from? And then my my joke is usually I'm born and bred in Sheffield. Obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that breaks the ice a bit. That's, yeah. that's the idea. So where do you, where are you living right now? I'm living in, in Derbyshire in, in a little town called Hina, and I work as a vet. It's a practice of small animals in, in Eastwood in Nottinghamshire, which is about 20 minutes from my house. Are there many immigrants in, in your town? No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there aren't any. I mean, uh, I have the trouble when, when I have to talk to my family, I talk to them about once a week or twice a week. Uh, I forget words that are words in Spanish. I, I don't remember. So I have to um, think about what I'm going to say before I say it. When, when I first came to, to the UK, it was the other way around. But my partner is English. Conversations in the family happens in English. I work with about 30 odd people and they're all English. My life happens in English and I sleep and dream in English. So. And do you feel like you're losing your Spanish? Do you feel like it's kind of evaporating? Or um, The language skill, uh, yes. Sometimes I, I write a bit for my um, Spanish local newspaper and I have to go in the internet to try to find words. So tell us about where you grew up then. So you were born in, in a town in Spain? I was born in, in Spain, in Malaga, and I grew up in a, in a little town called Alaurín de la Torre. It's a little bit of a mouthful. And then uh, when I turn 18, I have the choice of going to the university because I have good grades. If you have good grades, then half of it was paid by, by grants by the government. And when I fail some exams, then I have to pay for it myself. My dad was a taxi driver, so I did shift with him. And that was what I was doing in my early 20s. 
taxi driving, British tourists in the summer, and studied my degree in the winter. So I learned a little bit of English and I learned a little bit about those things. Through the taxi driving. And so what was it like? What was it like growing up near Malaga? Was it um, fun? Was it interesting? Was it? I didn't think I was, that place was special until I left that. I lived in a place with 20 minutes from the coast and it's always good weather. That was normal. I didn't understand why there were so many British and Germans coming down to play golf. So why did they come here, spend money here? And now I understand because I want to do the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And did you feel connected to the Spanish culture? Did you feel like, I am a Spaniard? Were there there things about Spain that you liked or disliked? How did you you feel about your country? I I think it's mixed feelings. There are things that I don't like about it. And when we talk about immigration, we have a the same problems that British people have. It's just it's not that obvious because a problem I see in uh, in Britain and I think it's probably connected through language is that most English people don't tend to acquire other language skills. So they don't go over spending time on reading Spanish newspapers, for instance. Uh, but when, when people say, oh, they've been um, nine or eight uh, immigrants in a boat and, and they, they come over. We, we're in a crisis. In the 90s, we used to have a hundred daily coming from North Africa. And the same debate, the same conversation was happening over there. And you have the same thing. You have these right-wing groups saying, well, actually, we need to send them back and let them die there because it's not our problem. Even though I disagree because historically, Spain is probably being a little bit like England. We you know, historically, we probably in a good position in the world because we used to invade other countries and we do have them as well. We have similar people saying, well, why do we have to pay for these people here? Why they just come in to commit crime? So what you're saying is that you have problems with some aspects of Spanish politics. Of course I do. Yes. So what about the Spanish culture? What about um, culturally do you feel connected to Spain? Yes, I feel connected to it. But again, in certain aspects, I don't believe in, in everything Spanish. I have a lot of concerns. I mean, I'm a veterinary surgeon. I'm not really that keen on bullfighting, to be honest. Yeah. I think it's something that should have disappeared 200 years ago. And that's part of our culture. And, you know, I have to accept that that's not, not something that I enjoy. Then I like cooking. And I think we do very good food, and I think we do very good wine as well. In that sense, I'm very connected. I like partying on summer. Every day on the calendar, there is a reason to party in Spain, particularly in the south. Usually it's connected with the Catholic calendar. So you have a saint one day, the next day you go another one, and the next day... And if it's not the saint of your auntie, it will be, it'll be the patron of uh, the city next to you, and that's where you go to party. So that aspect of like people getting together to celebrate oh, yeah. quite often is something you like about Spain. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Yeah. yeah. And here, I mean, here it doesn't happen very often. Well, you know, the, the, the problem I had when I first came in, and that was 2006, and in 2007 I got this job in where I work now as a director. And in my break, I would go to, you know, a little flat over the, over the practice and I have my glass of wine with my lunch. And then we'll come down and then carry on working. Until one day I commented, I, I just said, I just finished my glass of wine and are you drinking before coming to work? Yeah, yeah, of course I do. I don't think that's appropriate, friend. Okay. So I decided that that wasn't the right thing to do. And then I thought, well, maybe, you know, these people over here, they, they're just very, very smart. 
It turns out we all get drunk in the evening. So, <laughs> they know. just change the hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So what, what brought you to the UK then? So you let me get this straight. You were taxi driving with your dad for a while. Then you studied. Is that right? You studied veterinary Yeah, I studied. Veterinary I finished science. my degree. I was a very poor student, so it took me forever to finish my degree. What was it that attracted you to that subject? I have a friend who sadly passed away. He was, he was older and um, uh, he was in my, na- in my neighborhood, which, by the way, uh, was a very strong communist. And he... And he taught me a lot of politics and he, his name was Gerardo and Gerardo he was a professor of philosophy my political leanings they they are very strongly influenced by him even though I wouldn't consider myself a communist probably left leaning if you like um so he um I finished my degree and my my parents never been to the university they didn't know what to advise me I talked to him and uh, I explained to him that I like computers and I like animals well those are very different things. Uh, he said to me, look, if you become a vet, you just need a suitcase and you can travel the world with your knowledge. You can work and live anywhere you like. And I thought, that's a brilliant reason to do it. And that's why that's why I, I chose to be a vet. It's not because, you know, the story of people say, when I was four, I have this little hamster. And since then I wanted to be a... No, I'm not that guy. No, <laughs> you were just like, I want to travel. This is a good way to travel. Yeah. Yes, and I thought, and I thought I was going to go. You know, when I came to England, I thought I'm just going to go to England first, then I'll go to France, and then I'll go to. But I stopped in England, and a friend of mine who was a vet as well, Alfonso, who um, speaks fluent English, and he said, "Why don't you come for six months? Because I'm doing meat inspection as a vet." Meat inspection. Yeah, meat inspection is also regulated and it's got to be a vet, an official veterinarian who has to make sure that the process that happened in a slaughterhouse, for instance, unless you're a vegan or vegetarian, the meat is okay for human consumption. So what was it like in a slaughterhouse? It's, it's actually quite boring yeah. um, and, and a little bit gruesome as well. If you are a meat eater, make sure you cook your meat. I know all these programs of cooking stuff, they say, oh, rare is the best taste, whatever. Oh, not really. When you have a hundred cattle, cows at the end of the day, going through a line of different slaughtermen trying to do and work very fast and clean at the same time. These are people who are trying to to work very fast. They're not making a lot of money out of it. And they get tired and they can get upset and angry. And they have a knife on them as well because they work in a slaughterhouse. The last thing they want is me to tell you, that's not right, take it back, do it better, and I mean on their shoulder. It's not a, it's not a job uh, British people really wanted at the time. I didn't yeah. think and perhaps why. I mean, some people may, may enjoy it, uh, but I didn't. The job ended and I have uh, three months still of rent uh, that I've paid for uh, in a share house. Uh, and I thought, well, before I come back, I already pay this rent. Uh, so I'm going to see how um, the work in small animals is in here because this is what I had a little bit of experience with and through that I um, I found this job in 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 Nottinghamshire in Eastwood and I um, and applied for it and and they gave me the job and and I, I stayed there until 2010 and I only came I said to my dad I'm coming back in six months and that was 15 years ago. <laughs> and so, so you said you brought a little suitcase. Yeah, yeah. I came with a suit, suitcase and I think it was a thousand euros. But then one thing led to another and then 
because there is a lack of it, yeah, you end up being wanted to work. I never had a problem not finding a, a job, being a vet. Always practice of being desperate to get vets. The the dog and cat and pet population keeps growing, but we don't. We're not growing as fast. And so, was it a difficult decision staying in England or the UK, or was it just is it sort of organic? Yeah, it was organic. I yeah. I never made a conscious decision of saying. I'm going to stay in the UK. Eventually, as time passed and I gathered more responsibilities, then it got to the point of thinking, I may want to come back, but I'm not sure if now if I now can, because my other half is English, because I buy a house, now you got a mortgage, now I have a son. Putting your roots in the ground, um, yeah. I never actually made the decision I want to stay here. It just happened. It just happened. Yeah, same here. Yeah. You know, just one thing leads to another, doesn't it? And what did your parents and your family in Spain think of this? Were they were they okay with it? Were they happy about yeah. it? Yeah. He keeps asking me, when are you coming back? <laughs> and then, well, when I can. <laughs> and then I don't know when that's going to happen. Eventually, I probably I'll want to retire there. Uh, and if I can live there uh, for a while or for the last years of my life or, or either split, uh, spend uh-huh. part of my life yeah, uh, mm. here and over there. So I think that that would be a good compromise, I think. I, I do miss a lot of Spanish lifestyle. So tell me about meeting your your other half, as you put it. But <laughs> how did that happen? Okay, well, she's a vet nurse. We actually met through friends in common because she she was with some friends in a pub. I was, I was walking back in a, in a weekend from going to Ikea to look at things I may buy from my rented flat. And then some guys, hey, Frank, come over, have a beer with us. And then I have too many beers with her. And then that's why I stay with her. And so you, you said something very interesting in, in your email about how your partner sees immigration very differently. Is that right? Or she sees it in a new light? Because no, she, she's, I think she, um, she has her opinions a lot of them shaped by what I say and how I am. And she said this a few times to me, if I haven't met you, would I be anti-immigrant? Because I could have been because of what I read in the papers, what they show me on TV. There is this problem with uh, media, um, with social media as well, Twitter, Facebook, all those things, where there is a lot of negative uh, light on on immigration. So your your partner was sort of saying that she'd never really been exposed to yeah. positive images of immigrants or perhaps she hasn't met them in her friendship circle or her family yeah, circle. Yes, I think that's, that's what she means. I think mm. uh, I can't put words on, in, in her mouth, but I think what she means is I do see how people sometimes complain about things. You know, when I was in Norfolk, for when we both were in Norfolk, a client actually asked me in the consultation room, why are you here? Do we not have... English vets in here? And I have to say, yeah, that's the problem. We don't have English vets in here. But why would that bother you? That bothers you because you hear it in the news, because there is a constant banging on about these guys coming over and stealing your sandwich, you know, because I don't think what else they can steal other than your sandwich. At, at the end of the day, if you think things through and from a very non-nationalistic point of view, an immigrant that comes to work will be paying taxes the moment he crosses the border and buy a sandwich. My son, who is English, is British, he will not be paying a penny into the tax system until he starts to work. Everything's going to be given to him to start with, which 
I agree with, of course. Mm -hmm. That's why I wanted for him to to have. But immigration is a net contributor to funds to to anything we do. Yeah, maybe there is there is a reason that there is more people for a square meter in the UK, but. Maybe that's a sign of something, not a problem. That may be a sign of we are doing well financially rather than a sign of we must stop. It is bizarre. It is hard to get your head around that fear and that defensiveness around the the concept of immigration, isn't it? Particularly if they're they're helping your cat. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. I have people. I have. Oh, I don't want to see Fran because I can't understand him. Have Have you understood me so far? Yes. So I'm guessing my accent may be very strong to some people, but nobody says I'm a racist. Yeah. People use other ways. I do have some people that they do struggle, and I understand. They uh, uh, they have less contact with, with immigrants again, and then I, I do understand that there'll be people who, who will struggle with my accent. Hi all, it's me, quickly popping in to say, if you think we need to transform how our society perceives immigrants so that we can move on from the tired old stereotypes, please recommend this podcast to some of the people in your life. Fan of the podcast and my 10-year-old daughter Neve is here to tell you more. You can share some of our posts, our social details are in the show notes, and if you want to, you can leave a nice review on iTunes. Also, we've had several people get in touch with great suggestions for future guests. We'd love to hear yours. Okay, back to the conversation. So talk to me about Brexit. What happened with you in Brexit? How did that affect you? I think Brexit is for those who can afford it. I know it's been promoted as the liberation and the freedom of the man in the street, free of the shackles of the European Union and all that. But at the end of the day, it's just going to continue to cause problems. Uh, when I first came in, there was no debate about Brexit or, or the European Union. Uh, when I came in, Labour was in power and I don't think anybody knew who David Cameron was. Uh, and then 2010, Tories came to, to power. And then uh, there was this promise to make sure the UKIP at the time didn't actually start to get votes from the Tory party. Then they said, well, you know, if that's the reason you're going to get votes, then we're going to give people the choice to do a referendum. And I thought, well, people are going to choose to stay in. They're not idiots. I'm sorry if I'm telling people who are idiots who voted for. That's not my intention. I discovered after that that facts can be looked from different perspectives and people can be made to think one thing or, or another. When I d- discovered, you know, the, the night of the referendum, which European Union citizens could not vote, which a lot of people don't, don't know this, if residents, the same as in the independence referendum of Scotland, residents could vote, but in the EU referendum we couldn't vote. If we had had the chance to vote, it may have gone the other way around because we were three million. Um, yes, uh, and it was less of a difference. I understood immediately that the reason I was in the UK without having to prove my identity as Spanish was because we were part of the European Union. I thought my rights in here are going to be at risk. So I have to go through this very long 85 pages form to prove your residence status and, and then to make sure I haven't left the UK for too many days. For that, I have all my emails with all my flights, like a hundred flights of the times I've been back and forward to visit my family. And then I apply for citizenship. Now, I'm a vet. I can afford it. I'm not rich, but I can pay to grand to become British. And not everyone can. 
and I could take my time off to get my documents together. I have the knowledge to actually do all this paperwork by myself. There must be people here on their 60s or 70s who are European Union citizens that still don't know how to go through all those processes. Also, they have paid into the system more than many of the British people who wanted Brexit. And unfortunately, something that we we were warned of and we said, this is going to happen, is happening now. There are people who want to go to Spain to live there and thinking, well, you can only spend so many days in a year now. Oh, why? Oh, because of Brexit. Oh, I thought Brexit was for the people coming in. No, Brexit is for everyone. I now have probably more rights than many British people because I'm a citizen of the European Union. You haven't had to give up your Spanish citizenship. No, I didn't. I did, again, go through all the paperwork to actually keep myself as Spanish and as British. So I got I got two passports. So in your email, you said it was a, a draining process. You used the phrase mental pain. Because you, you are constantly waiting for the next deadline or for the home office to send you back paperwork thinking, said, yes, you got your resident status. And the next thing is you got to go to your speaking language test. And I have to talk to someone and they have to decide whether my English skills were good enough. Then you have to do a test, a citizenship test, where you have to um, answer questions about kings and queens of the 17th century. Yeah, it's not just a citizenship test. As you say, it's a kind of memory test. It's a language test. It's a proving your worth test. There was a question about what to do with a pint. There is a pint. There is a pint question. where If you knock someone else's pint... And there was three options. One of them was to actually get into a fight with them. Now, the other one was to buy them another pine. And I decided to go for that one. And that tended to be the right one. If you happen to be Muslim, you wouldn't step foot inside a pub anyway. No, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, it's funny how they think that's the essence of British culture. And do you feel differently about Britain after Brexit? This may come as a bit of patronising. I feel sorry for a lot of people for how they've been deceived they being exposed to a lot of lies for a political goal. And then the political goal has been achieved, but that learning process is still in the brains of many of these people. I don't think Britain is a racist country. I don't think that. But if there is some racist people in here, that hasn't helped. And there may be more now because of that debate. And I feel sorry for that. And so with your partner, have there been any sort of cultural clashes? Do you do you have differences in how you do things or see things? Or? Of course we do. But I, th- I think with time, they they be softened. And maybe it has happened more at work. Spanish people, you know, when we have a, a problem with each other, we're very vocal. If someone says something or does something at work that you don't agree with, you just tell them, why you don't tell your mother? You would say that in Spanish, of course. <laughs> uh, in England, people just lower the eyes, and then you, you involve the manager. And I remember when I was paying, I didn't have to involve the manager. The things used to be sorted in between two people. I remember a story like that. I, I was involved in some action group, and the guy was telling me about how someone walked their dog every morning yeah. and let their dog shit on his garden. <laughs> and he, he kept getting in touch with the council to get this guy to stop. And I was like, yeah. why don't you just talk to the guy? Yes, exactly. That's, that, that comes from, from something in, in Spain. We say that British people are very polite, but being polite is good to a point. If you are too polite, you don't say what you think, and then you just mutter under your breath. 
how distressed you are about the other person. And sometimes being polite means that, and that's not great. And what about your your partner's family? How how have they um have they been welcoming? Has it been easy to get along with them? Always, they've been fantastic. Always, I cannot complain about either Vicky or her family. They always been brilliant. You know, usually when we talk about immigration and racism and, and that, they, they all come from from fear, from fear of something strange. Most people who who are like that is because they haven't had the contact. Everyone says, I don't like immigrants, but I like you. Every immigrant, every foreign person that you meet in this country can tell you that story. They say they like me. It's other people that they don't like. I don't think racism is something you can stop because racism is always going to come natural. So that's why our job of civilized people is to always be on the top of teaching our youngsters to say, look, just because it looks different, it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just different. What do you think the UK does does well? What What's something you value about the UK? I'm a vet. I'm a vet. They're brilliant. Actually, this is a country of animal lovers. Uh, I think in Spain we are a few years behind. Maybe not now, but 15 years ago we were. And then when I came to the UK, um, something that it was a surprise to me is that people would spend thousands in their animals because they love them, because it's part of the family. And I thought, wow, this is where I want to work. That's one of the top things. Again, it's a re- generalization, probably not for everybody, but most people are. And I think that's something that the UK does very well. I think science is something that the UK does does very well. And I, I think, like I said before, yes, we have this where we've gone a couple of steps back in the debate about immigration and that. But again, I don't think Britain is a racist country. I think probably one of the most welcome countries you can have nowadays. But we should continue to be. But I guess the sad thing is that people like you won't be able to hop on a plane and with a suitcase anymore and just try their luck. No. No, no, probably not. And so, how do you how do you feel about your job as a vet? Do you love it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I I love my job. It's just you know veterinary um, practice is very stressful. Unfortunately, we tend to kill ourselves quite a lot. We have a very high suicide rate. We are probably the second or the third in the country. I think there are several reasons. Some some people think is is because you have access to drugs that can kill you easily. So if someone wants is having a bad time at the office and it's not a bad, then I suppose jumping for a third wind story is not very appealing. But we can actually kill an animal pretty much painless. That's part of the problem. The other problem is it's stressful because you see a lot of people every day. You're trying to please a lot of a lot of people. Sometimes you feel you're not up to, up to the task or that you're failing some people. And then you have your complaints as well. And that can mount up and can make you depressed. And and the third reason, maybe some people are thinking it's not to do with that, is it's not that the job is stressful, although we have access, but the type of people who get into becoming a vet are more likely to share the same inclinations of people who actually commit suicide. There is a fourth thing. I feel people who always have been to be wanting to be a vet and then when they come to be a vet, they discovered and all their life since they were ch- children and they they feel that it's not as nice pink as they expected. Yes. And then I'm thinking, well, my life was this, but it's not what, what I have in my mind. How do I now come back to life again because that was my life. In my case, one day I decided that I don't want to be a vet anymore. I can be a taxi driver. 
I won't lie, I have a moment. I have moments like everyone, and I see my colleagues in the practice. And um, I, unfortunately, I know many people who hadn't coped, and, and they no longer with us. I can, from the top of my mind, I I, I could name three. I, I don't know any other profession who could say the same. You you can tell me next year or the year after, and unfortunately, it won't be three. Probably won't be four. That's how it is. So to finish, when we're allowed to go out again and do things with other people, what's a good night out for you? I'm going to have to give you like three different examples. So one of them is to get Vicky and my son and go to the local pub, which is the Queen's Head, to have a pint there. It's as simple as that. It's one of the things I'm, I'm looking forward the most. And you can teach your son what to do if, if you spill someone's pint. <laughs> it's a spill a pint, yes. It's spill a pint with someone. <laughs> Uh, the second thing, uh, I'm not doing clubbing or things like that anymore. Probably getting older. So Saturdays when I finish, I offer everyone a pint at the local pub of the practice. And that's something that we enjoy as well. And a night out, the practice as well, we um, we get all together and have a night out. I mean, my my friends in, in the UK, they pretty much my work colleagues. And then that's something that we, we enjoy too get all together and have dinner and then go to town and then um, get a bit hammered, which I'm not supposed to do because I'm the director, but I do. And so it's all very pint-based. All alcohol. I'm just not wine. I I do a lot of red wine, but that's that's a problem I have. If I'm going out, I am drinking pints because the last thing you want is to go to a pub and ask for a glass of wine because the wine may have been open for three days. Either you buy a cheap wine that is constantly going, you buy an expensive wine that's been open for too long. And it's all ruined. Or you have to open or you have to buy the whole bottle. So wine is just not the right the right purchase in a, in, in a pub, I don't think. I go to uh, get my um, European Union pint of Stella, Belgian beer at the end of the day, and, uh, and then just drink two or seven. Two or seven, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good average there you've got going. Yeah. <laughs> Francisco, thank you so much. Um, yeah. Lovely, lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for your time and um, happy pint drinking when, the, when all of this is over. Thank you. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much to Francisco. Such an interesting guy. I was really fascinated to hear about the link between his profession and the higher than average rate of suicide. I'd never heard that talked about before, really. If you are interested in the secret lives of vets, Francisco actually has his own podcast and it's called More Than Just a Vet. Do look it up. It's uh, detailed in the show notes below. You have been listening to I Am an Immigrant, produced by me, Christine Bacon, and edited by Helen Clapp. Support for this podcast comes from the Paul Hamlin Foundation, and it is an Ice and Fire Theatre production. We'll be in your feed every week with a new conversation. Thanks for listening. Catch you later.